From Bloomington, Indiana, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana. I'm Karen Greenstone, along with Dr. Rob Stone. Hello. Our guest today is Fran Quigley, who is a clinical professor at the Indiana University McKinney School of Law, teaching in health and human rights clinic. His students advocate for the rights of the poor with a focus on individual and systemic barriers to accessing healthcare and the social determinants of health. His focus shifted from advocating for access to insulin for diabetes during COVID and turned to eviction protection. He's the author of Walking Together, Walking Far, How the U.S. and the African Medical School Partnership in Winning the Fight Against the HIV AIDS Pandemic. He also wrote Religious Socialism, Faith in Action for a Better World. He has also served as the Executive Director of the ACLU of Indiana and as a staff attorney with Indiana Legal Services. I would like to add that Rob read Walking Together, Walking Far before volunteering at the medical school in Kenya that you write about. Fran Quigley, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare. Karen and Rob, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Fran, the House of Representatives voted yesterday, March 31st, to pass a bill that would cap the cost of life-saving insulin at $35 per month, a piece of legislation that would ease the burden on millions of Americans living with the disease who pay out thousands of dollars each year on the drug. For diabetic patients, including children and young adults, out-of-pocket costs for insulin can be a major household expense, whether they are insured, enrolled in Medicare, or uninsured and underinsured. The bill passed with bipartisan support, but sadly, the entire Indiana Republican delegation voted nay. The bill now goes to the Senate. Will you talk about your work advocating for diabetic patients and for lowering insulin costs? Sure, Karen. I've had the real privilege of being a follower, more than a leader on this, but following the folks who are living with diabetes, in particular type 1 diabetes. There's a great organization called T1 International, which is, uh, as, as the name would suggest, folks who are living with type 1 diabetes, which I'm sure probably Rob's talked about on the show before, and probably a lot of listeners know those are folks who are insulin. It is not a discretionary thing. It is what uh, keeps them alive every single day. It's a little bit different than type 2, which can be that or not. And these folks have been activists for quite some time, but we got to know because of geography, because I'm in Indianapolis, and uh, one of the three manufacturers of insulin in the world to really have cornered the market globally is Eli Lilly and Company. And insulin has this amazing origin story, which for those of us who care about healthcare as a human right, it's really exciting. It was discovered in 1922. It was literally a lifesaver for, for millions and millions of people. And the inventors sold the patent for $1. And when they were asked, they got the Nobel Prize for this, but they didn't refuse to monetize it. And they asked why. They said, because insulin doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the world. This is Dr. Frederick Banting. So we're just right now in the 100-year anniversary. But... That patent ended up getting in the hands of companies, uh, unfortunately, like our Indiana company, Eli Lilly and Company, and they have taken what a vial of insulin costs about $5 to manufacture. It's a formula that's been around for decades, and that vial can cost as much as $300. And uh, as, as you mentioned, Karen, this is something that, that is literally killing people, um, and killing people here, even in, in the wealthy United States, is definitely killing people globally because they can't afford this medicine that is 
been around for a long time that is designed to save lives and that is actually cheap to manufacture and distribute. So the folks with T1 International and other folks with type 1 diabetes and, and allies have held a series of actions directed to and in front of Eli Lilly and company here in Indianapolis. It's been a privilege to be in coalition with them and in partnership with them. And I know you all have been up there for, for those as well. I have to say, just like you, Karen and Rob, I've been to many demonstrations over the years, but I'm not sure I've ever been to one more powerful than when parents talk about having lost their young adult children because those children were having to ration their insulin because they couldn't afford it. And of course, it dovetails with what you all do every day with your activism. This is all about the fact that uh, they've aged out of their parents' health insurance programs and working full-time for the most part, but just don't have access to good insurance and or care. And um, unfortunately, that's caused many deaths. And Fran, have you, do you feel like you have personally in any way gotten feedback from Eli Lilly or has it made it harder for you to work in Indianapolis because of your activism and the public stance you have taken? I actually delivered a paper on nationalizing the pharmaceutical industry, taking it all the way to to, the, to 11, right? In uh-huh. our law school faculty lounge, which is the Eli Lilly and Company faculty lounge, where if you looked out a certain window, you could see the, the headquarters of the company when one of these, or one of the parents who stayed in our home who had lost her son, Nicole Smith Holt, has become a, a really globally recognized activist on this because her son Alec died at age 25 in the Minneapolis area because he couldn't afford insulin, even though he's working full time and otherwise was healthy but had type one. When we met with a vice president, she, we attended a shareholder meeting. It's a long story how we got in there, but we attended a shareholder meeting with our insulin for all, our insulin's a human rights t shirts, and ended up meeting with the vice president of Eli Lilly. This is what this town is like, and you all understand that the vice president's children had gone to school and played on the same soccer teams and track teams as my kids. And so to answer your question, I think it's actually not been harder because it's it's been a little bit of a healthy way for me to be an activist because, you know, lawyers in particular, we're pretty adversarial folks. That's what our business is uh, for a lot of us in litigation anyway. So it's easy to demonize the human beings on the other side. So a lot of people, I'd say most people went to Eli Lilly that I know of thinking, oh, I'm going to be a part of healing. I'm going to be a part of discovering new medicines and and making people's lives better. And then many of them become very disillusioned to find that it's much more about profiteering. It's much more about getting monopolies and charging whatever the market will bear. It's led to a lot of really healthy, productive conversations, but it also makes me be careful. Whenever I teach a class and we talk about these things, I have in that class at least a couple of students who either work at Lila Lily right now or their parents did. And you just, you find yourself having to be pretty careful and fact-based, but unfortunately the facts are, are very clear here. It's not been, I, I give great credit to IU as we speak, as it's being recorded, they haven't fired me yet. So uh, even though they're, they're constantly trying to raise money from Eli Lilly, they haven't yet to, whether, whether someone's asked for me to be fired, I don't know, but so far so good. So I'm going to pivot just a little bit here and what your current talk about what your current work is, but mental health and safety of your clients at the law school during a worldwide pandemic must have been traumatic and overwhelming. Will you tell us about your work protecting renters and homeowners from eviction during COVID? Well, as you mentioned, our clinic's name is Health and Human Rights. And so we have been focused over the years on access to health care through, again, just standing by and being in just amazing support of what, what you all have done to preserve, and well, you all, to create the fact that we have Medicaid expansion in Indiana, even as a red state, just so much credit to the two of you in particular, but others as well, but also to preserve the healthy Indiana plan. And that in line with the name of the clinic is, 
But what we found out, of course, housing is such a key social determinant of health. And we're in an era where, where folks are being thrown out of their homes and at this historic rate and can't afford their, their homes. And what we've realized is what lawyers and law students could really probably do best to help was to go to the eviction courts. And so we've been in the eviction courts for about a year now and trying to defend folks and, and keep them in their homes and to push when the, when the conditions are very poor, which unfortunately that's pretty commonly the case. And so that's been a, that's been a roller coaster ride. We talked before we hit record that Rob's a longtime ER doc experience. I, I feel like I'm resonating with because a lot of this is we just seem to be ping-ponging from one crisis to the uh, literally in the course of you know, an hour or two. But I do think it's something that's been very fulfilling for the students and very fulfilling for me because we do have some victories and we do oftentimes just getting folks a little bit of time for they can figure out another place to be and to gather some of the money to capture up the back rent, we've been able to be of a little bit of help. So that's been a privilege and we're glad to be able to do it. So Fran, what's your prescription for healthcare? Well, I'm going to give you a really controversial take on this particular show. It's Medicare for all. That's the <laughs> prescription for healthcare. Health, you look at the polls and, and you talk to folks and, and as you've done a little bit of research and advocacy on faith community involvement in advocacy for healthcare, we think healthcare is a human right. We just do. You, you talk to almost anyone from any kind of background and tradition, and we believe that healthcare is a human right, but we don't treat it that way. We treat it as you get this if you can afford to pay enough money to make a corporation extra revenue so that they can enrich their already rich shareholders. And this is what we do with the insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry, and unfortunately, the, the, the direct healthcare industry too often as well, is we've commodified a human right. And Medicare for all at the core is treating it as an entitlement that every single human being is entitled to have the insulin that they need, entitled to be able to go get the care they need and get the tests that they need and, and be able to see the physician and, and their care provider when they need to. So that's the prescription for healthcare is it's a, unfortunately it's a political prescription, right? We, we need to do much, much better in Washington and in the state house and in our, our city councils, et cetera, to make sure that the politics and the profiteering stop getting in the way of this human right. Well, Fran, thank you so much for talking with us today on Prescription for Healthcare. Karen and Rob, this is wonderful. I appreciate the chance to, to see you and be with you again and to have this conversation. I look forward to, to being with the folks in Bloomington and beyond for more activism soon enough. <laughs> so this is Karen Greenstone and Dr. Rob Stone for Prescription for Healthcare, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana and WFHB Community Radio. To your good health, everyone, the pandemic is not over. <laughs>